0: come to The Right Stuff. I'm Sheena and today we're talking to A.L. Duncan. If you're listening to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher, please remember to rate us. Now over to A.L. Duncan.
1: My name is A.L. Duncan and I am a writer of, I say women's fiction because I like to expand on the idea that even though I have main characters, that are lesbian, not all the characters are lesbian. So I want to make sure that everyone can read something and find similarity to it. I'm from uh, Cincinnati, Ohio with my partner and uh, we we don't get out much. So I I tend to do an awful lot of writing and my nine to five job.
0: Okay. So you, you want to talk to us today about finding the pathos of the reader. That's an interesting way to approach writing. How did you even think of this?
1: Well, when I was a child, most of the storytellers in my family were uh, great aunts from Chicago who would come down to Ohio because in Chicago they didn't have a particular restaurant that served a particular food that they loved. (laughs) So we would hang around this big table and they would tell stories of the depression in the 30s and raising children during that time and being raised themselves in the teens and 20s. The essence of those stories made such an impact on me that I loved when they would come down and tell more stories. And to me, I think that's, I found that out at a very young age. A story to me, it's, it's not about the words so much of remembering as it is how it made me feel.
0: You know, that's such an interesting thing for me because I don't think a lot of authors approach writing from how the reader is feeling about this
1: consider storytelling as a divination through imagination early on music was my muse and I believe that language is a form of music and you know because it's sound it's tone it's rhythm and when we writers put words onto paper we're connecting a series of vibrations so understanding this there are a few things to take into account before you begin to write a story you know anyone can write a story what separates an extraordinary story from an average story, is that essence of color and experience and vibe that I walk away with when I close the book, or as when I'm writing, when I'm done with the story. My whole being is literally swimming with certain aspects that moved me Mm. emotionally, psychologically, perhaps even analytically. So if it makes me think outside of my little sheltered world, then it's probably a good thing. Absolutely. I don't get out much, and I don't watch the news But I do watch House of Cards on Netflix. Does that count?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Sure, why not? (laughs) Okay. So, you
1: know, anytime a reader gets engrossed in a story, there's an intimate connection between them and the writer. And if it's a good read, the reader is experiencing everything that the characters are experiencing. Literature is all that becomes us. And in turn, we become that which literature is. You know, imagination is where we all meet and enjoy and experience something wonderful that makes us view life a little differently. And and it may not always be a wonderful ending, but nevertheless, we are changed by the reading of it. You know, does that make sense?
0: Absolutely. Now, this is one of the reasons I find this so interesting is that authors, they're aware that they can have this effect on people, but they don't necessarily know how to have this effect on people. You seem to have the answers, though. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> okay. I don't
1: know about having the answers, but I do know a few things about human nature because I've experienced so much in, you know, just in, in uh, bad choices uh, through my life. And now I understand some there are some good things that happen out of good choices. So, you know, it's human nature to want to be somewhere else than where we are. We're always searching for someone or some situation that we can relate to. And we feel safe finding this essence in a book, because in the end, it's a deeper and more ultimate reality than that in which our lives are lived. I always believe that my concern as a writer should not be with what makes a good story. My concern should be, how does this story make me feel? And uh, we need to pay particular attention to where we are in our emotional maturity. And what I mean by that is to understand that you can't write about falling in love if you've never fallen in love. Mm. It'll be mechanical. And ideally, we all want to build up a character in image and concept and ideas. But I have found that um, character development is is none of that at all. Character development is what happens after you've placed them before another character in conversation. It's, It's truly through dialogue that we develop a character. And this is just through my own observation with people.
0: You just just ex- expand on that. Expand on that. What do you mean by your character development happens when two characters are speaking?
1: Narrative and body language is what occurs to the reader after they've read through some some dialogue. Everything else just falls into place. You know, if you think about it, you never really know someone until you start talking to them. You know, my editor has pointed out to me in, in many of my past works that a scene flows much easier. And with less apparent struggle, when you work someone's past into dialogue. Dialogue is something I just, I love language. I love words. And I think when people communicate in language, they're really becoming an, it's an intimate communication between two people. So we naturally observe people and develop a sense of their personalities through conversation. What is said, what is not said, what is said through nervous tics or through obvious body language. And this is very important to remember. It's an obvious go-to is the body language. So it's very important for the writer to remember, we have to start using this, if we don't already, in our stories.
0: So you mean like, describe buddy language.
1: Well, someone who um, is constantly rubbing their head, or standing on the right side, or when they're not giving you eye-to-eye contact, you can pretty much tell what that person's about within a five-minute period. As a reader, if you don't read any of this in someone's dialogue, you know, as what the editors call tags, taglines. She said, he said, As I'm not a big fan of said, and I know a lot of people really want you to go that way. I'm more into the body language of the communication, of the dialogue. If you can impart some sort of body language during that time, a reader can get the idea of this person's expressions and how they're talking and what they're doing when they're talking. In theater, in movies, and particularly in literature, a fictional character is slightly exaggerated from your typical Jane Doe. Else, the story's going to be flatline. People want drama. They want excitement. They want the unexpected. Nobody really talks the way a fictional character talks. We stutter, laugh nervously, or if you're a camel, you spit in all the wrong times. <laughs> you know, nothing is on cue. But when we write, we want it to be a symphony where every scene is projected to begin and end and another begins, and we hope, in an ebb, in a flow. And that's the tricky part. Most editors will tell you that they want action. If there isn't dialogue, narrative, or a particular scene that keeps the story moving forward, they don't want it.
0: Okay, I'm just going to stop you there. Let's go a couple of steps back, okay? Okay. Let's start with some basic how-to. How do you start as an author? Say you're an author and you're relatively new to the whole scene. And you want to really engage the reader and make them feel something deeply. What's the first step?
1: We can go back to that character outline of uh, what a character outline really is and not necessarily put it in one particular part of the story. For myself, I want to know who this character is. Here's an example. Marguerite Adler is a main character in my Secrets of Angels story. I'll read you her outline. Marguerite is a naturally attractive woman with timber enough in her for a good dramatic heroine. Sharply individualized, shrewd, and selfish, her young spirit harbors the illusion of wisdom. Yet there's a part of her that knows deep down inside the formal mask that she wears does an injustice to the rest of her soul, but can't truly identify just what else it is that she believes in besides issues on women's suffrage. To Jean, her Paris lover, she is Maggie, and as Maggie, she feels whisked away by freedoms she otherwise wouldn't dare dream of as the prudential and politically-minded activist her father raised her to be. Having said this, she is indeed her father's daughter, a reflection of his well-seasoned philosophies with no reason to speak against their rigid structure or any of life's experiences of her own just yet to doubt them. As the story deepens, however, She finds life in Paris is full of tempting grey shadows that are all too consuming to her black and white philosophies. In the end, it is Marguerite's foundation of independent sensibilities that acts as the sinew to her being as it is tested beyond its naive tethers and helps her to define herself as a mature woman of passions. Now, see, you can't put all of this in a background. It's going to overwhelm people.
0: But that's the the character growth.
1: That's the character That's who you must establish first and foremost. You have to be comfortable with this character and know her inside and out. You have to keep that in mind when you put these outlines together for your characters. Yeah, this is actually an awful lot, and yet it's very basic because it doesn't get down to the blood and the bone of Marguerite Adler. You'll find that along in the story, as the reader does. And sometimes they appear in different aspects. And as you're writing and as you're translating this you know, stuff that your inner being is giving you, you're finding more about this person. And what you're doing is you're finding more about your inner being because what you're really writing is more of yourself. Any writer that tells you they don't put themselves in their stories is not being honest with themselves.
0: Absolutely. Well, you, you have to because it's your life experience that you're drawing from.
1: Yes. And you can see some exaggerations of other people or have fun with some folks that that you've been in touch with, or you've just met, and think that's a great characteristic to throw into somebody. You know, it's wonderful, but it's all about what we have experienced. Yes.
0: Let's do like a tick list, right? So, first thing is, as an author, you need to understand what your character's all about, right? And then you create a character. What, sorry, what did you call it? A character profile?
1: Yeah, an outline. A yeah, character, character outline. outline.
0: Okay, you're giving advice to your author here. And you're saying, okay, so we're doing a character outline, and our goal here is to help your readers really identify emotionally with your character. What questions should you be asking about your character?
1: You should ask first, where do you want your character to have been raised from? You know, what kind of environment? Okay. Because that's going to establish a behavior pattern. What type of childhood would you uh, want your character to come from? What kind of uh, emotional stability do you want them to have as an adult, if they're adults? Do they have any fears or beliefs that they may have gathered from their parents or their community or their, their childhood that is carried over into their adulthood or into their actions that they're doing now or responsibilities that they have? Maybe they were an older child and they had to help raise the other kids. Or maybe they were a child who only had one parent. You know, things like this you might want to keep in mind about what kind of a, a character do I really want.
0: Okay. What's interesting for me is how you wrote your your character description was very poetic. I think a lot of people literally write down lists of things as opposed to a little story.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I enjoy poetry. And I slip poetry into all of my, my works. I believe that's sort of a signature of mine. But I, I believe that poetry came to me first before telling stories. So that's uh, just a natural go-to for me.
0: It makes a lot of sense for me because you start to build a rhythm, if you like, for the character, heartbeats.
1: heartbeat. Yes. Uh, I guess that's uh, what we can start doing is, you know, to, to put that character in a womb and start creating it, you know, from that point with the heartbeat. And don't describe the common things like, oh, the eye color or the hair color or how tall they are. You know, let's get something a little deep first. Let's get something that's, as you said, you know, poetic. I love to compare my villains to bitter or poisoned fruit and the heroines to the scent of romance, you know. There's definitely a level up here when the muses murmur poetics to better the game, you know.
0: Mm, absolutely. You know? Okay, so now now authors have got this this outline of a character. How do they know, though, when they're getting it Right. <laughs>
1: You eat, pray, and poop. You know, should be a title of a new book. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously, though, I walk away for a while. I leave it alone. The key is with satisfaction, that I did the best I could with the perspective that I had at the time. And I try not to think of it for a while. You know, whatever it is I I need to change, it'll nag me. I do have to be honest in my gut feelings. And just know that you will inevitably have to change it once again when the editor gets his or her hands on it and that's another thing you know you must trust the editors that's why you have them once i gotten over my hard-headed moment about this is what i want you know and with a little more open-mindedness this is an opportunity to polish this part this section more so than if i had just left it the way it was
0: how long do you leave it for
1: it varies you know i can leave it for half a day i can leave it for two hours i can Go pet my cat and come back. And it, sometimes it's there. I know if I get a little too deep about things, that's, that's sometimes I get into a psychological level so deep that my editors have to rescue me with a rope and dynamite.
0: Because you
1: know? so, <laughs> <laughs> I, I can get pretty deep, you know, and that's what they call flowery, you know, flowery language. Mm. Because really, American contemporary writing, most publishers don't want that. But unfortunately, that's all I love to read is the old classics. So unless you want your character to be nothing more than a a featherless biped, you know, you got some work to do, but you've got to work on yourself. You've got to study your own inner workings, your own desires, your beliefs, your fears, whether or not they're all self-made community made or experience taught. you got anxieties that have stuck around since childhood and now have morphed into something that you're just using as a knee jerk reaction. You consider as a coping skill.
0: So, Authors need to do a lot of self-examination, and that's going to be tough, but the, the tougher you are on yourself, and the more you crack yourself open, the more rewarding it will be by the sounds of it.
1: Yes, absolutely. You know, remember that we are our actions. We are our choices. Our makeup is based on our belief systems. If we believe peer pressure, social pressure, or economic pressure is stronger than our willingness to stand alone in a particular desire then we are um, basically surrendering our own power to decide for ourselves what it is we need to achieve or how we need to react to something. This is a very powerful tool in realization when we're attempting to mold a character you know, to their surroundings or their rebellion against it. So what we want to do is study up on the aspects of drama, perhaps literatures on tragedy. Terry Ingleton If you know the fella, he has a great book on tragedy entitled Sweet Violence, The Idea of a Tragic. It's a very good book. It's a bit heady and scholarly, not a book I want to read after my brain's fried by working a full-time job, as I attempt to do. It does put me in a beautiful coma at night. (laughs) (laughs) You know, but when you do have the energy, it's a marvelously educational read. Um, Another one I suggest is Joseph Campbell. I think we know him. He gives us mythologies that have been a part of our every, every culture. His studies have shown how these ancient beliefs have shaped our societies and our own changing perceptions. A child reading Goldilocks and the Three Bears in a struggling inner city neighborhood with a single parent will not be impacted by this story in quite the same way as, um, say, a child with two parents with large family ties living in a farming community together with nature right there at the doorstep. So the perspectives on life and the philosophies of these two children are going to be totally different. Does that make sense?
0: It does. So do you think that it's important then for the author to define who the reader will be?
1: Um, I don't look at that as perhaps as much as I I should. Um, I believe that uh, if the reader is interested in the storyline, they'll pick it up. I write mostly for what, when I was um, in my young 20s, coming out of uh, the gay community and reading books, and I did not see certain types of books that I wanted to see on the shelves. So that's why I write what I do today. And I didn't give it a thought whether or not there were other people who want to read this sort of stuff. So I know what I love. I know what I love reading I know what I love writing and, and hopefully there's a there's a few readers out there that won't mind reading what, what I'm writing
0: how are you finding responses to your work
1: well I'm finding many people are enjoying one thing that I have noticed that people enjoy in the particular stories and that is a balance yeah sure, certainly there are deep parts of the stories but there's also humor There's a balance in anything because I don't want to get too deep into something and not be able to pull readers out and just enjoy it as an entertainment. So my natural inclination, after rubbing my aching head for a while, is to balance this character's dramatic inner workings with humorous circumstances or use another character altogether that's comedic. And this is something that the readers have told me time and again that they like. It adds to the flow. They like the dialogue because I tend to have dialogue apparently that's... Stays within the storyline of the scene. That doesn't get outside too much or abstract or take away from the forward movement.
0: Where do you get this feedback from? Are people writing to you? Are you looking at Amazon reviews? Like, where's this coming from?
1: I have gone to uh, quite a few book clubs and been a part of them, and uh, they have told me these things. They they okay. uh, are very good at giving you feedback. If you um, don't know where to go as a new writer. To get yourself out there, I would highly suggest looking up uh, lesbian book clubs or just women's book clubs. The last one I went to was a um, men and women's book club. They both read my debut novel and it was wonderful. I had never heard a man's point of view of what they read. And uh, that was very interesting for me and very educational.
0: You're an interesting author. You're very different from a lot of the authors that I speak to because you're very... It's not really commercial from the sounds of it, it's more just you want to write a particular kind of a thing.
1: Yes, yes, I do. And, um, well, when I was a kid, I would sit and watch PBS and uh, the British series Mystery, and I would that would be a very exciting thing for me. And I would watch the old 30s and 40s and 50s, uh, Cecil B. DeMille films and all the other art noir type of films, and uh, I would think, why? do we not have stronger women characters? You know, we have these women that are whimpering and they're getting hysterical when they get upset and there always has to be a guy to to go and save them. And even as a child, I would think, why aren't there women like Ben-Hur saying all this wonderful dialogue and doing all this wonderful heroic stuff? So I, I knew then that I wanted to be a part of that change to show that women are just as good in their language, <laughs> that have the best roles, and they can be heroes too.
0: Other author tips: tips for new authors. Anything you want to add there?
1: Well, I would say read biographies, read lectures and criticisms on your favorite authors or their writings. Uh, read the classics. Uh, you know, they might be different than you know you being forced to read them when you were in school. You have a different interest in them, perhaps. I read the classics, you know, so my studies center around the classic authors, you know, like Tolstoy and, um, and Victor Hugo and Isaac Dennison, Dorothy Parker, things like that.
0: And why is that important?
1: When you discover the person before the pen, you can easily understand why they had the style and the command of storytelling that they did. And uh, this helps me focus on the question I should have about my own writing why did I have that character say that? Or should this other character have reacted in a different manner? What you want to do is get in the mind of your characters.
0: Now, you mentioned at the beginning that you are promoting your books more as women's literature than rather than lesbian fiction. Are you finding that women throughout are picking it up or predominantly lesbian?
1: Probably more so um, the lesbian community, which is wonderful. That's where I, you know, I do, that's my basic. That's where I want to go. But I don't want it to be exclusive. I believe in the um, area of just literature itself. That's why I keep calling it literature. I like knowing that perhaps all of us who are writers, our works are considered of lasting artistic merit. I write because I want it to last in the lesbian community. Some of the, the best writing that I did see early on was um, very depressing. The Well of Loneliness. That yeah. was, I thought, oh my goodness. It was like when I was, I remember as a teenager and I read Emily Dickinson and I thought, oh my God, she's depressing. You know, I don't want to be a poet if I'm going to be that depressing. Mm. You want to have a new voice out there. You want to expound on all that we are. And it's not just about being a lesbian who's a writer. It's about being a woman who wants to reflect her world and herself on where she is today. And that self is constantly changing.
0: So how are you finding the heterosexual woman dealing with the fact that your main characters are lesbian?
1: They don't have a whole lot of problem with that. The ones in the, uh, the book clubs that I've talked with, they all thought that the stories, because they encompass the whole world around them, not just the story of the lesbian character, that they can actually also find similarities in people's characteristics and their beliefs, or their dialogue, or situations, uh, because that's that's the world we really live in. And they appreciate that when I write my stories with the whole of the world, you know, or the whole of the the community around a character, that it's not so hyper focused on on the character.
0: How graphic are your sex scenes? Do you have sex scenes? I'm sorry, I actually haven't read your work. It's terrible of me. <laughs>
1: Oh, uh, well, now that you mention it, you know, when my first two books, I was in my thirties and they were, they were pretty graphic and I had to edit it down from like four pages. And, and nowadays you'll find my sex scenes are more metaphor because I'm going through pre-menopause, you know, <laughs> just, I want to write it and get it over with. <laughs>
0: okay.
1: I love, I love metaphor in that way because it makes it a little bit more uh, poetic mm. and it gives the reader a little bit more of a, a fantasy thought about how you are interpreting that scene. Mm. And uh, I, I kind of like that discovery,
0: okay. if for no other reason. And do you find that heterosexual women are more inclined to prefer the more graphic sex scenes or the more poetic sex scenes?
1: They love the more poetic. They seem to skip over, at least a couple of them that I had mentioned, you know, had to be, did answer that question. They uh, They said they just skipped over some of the sex scene because it just wasn't their deal. But it didn't slow them down from wanting to read the novel at all.
0: Okay. Yeah. I like asking authors about this stuff because author experiences in this regard are very different one to the other.
1: Well, I have read novels that are very graphic in their sexual scenes and and really I I have to say when when I was in my twenties, those were the, if it didn't have a lot of sex in it, I didn't want to read the story. But when I've, as I've gotten older, I thought, no, it's more about the story than it is the sex. So, yeah, it's all about, I guess, what you're willing to write, what you're comfortable writing with. If it's erotica you want, then read erotica. If it's a story that you want to dig into and let take you away, then read it for the idea of the story and not so much the sex.
0: Where can people find you if they want to get hold of you?
1: Well, you can go to my website at alduncan.us or you can uh, go to my publisher's website, Regal Crest Enterprises. You can Google it. I believe it is uh, Regal Crest Books.
0: Okay. And are you on social media at all?
1: I am on Facebook. You can find me on Facebook under A.L. Duncan as well. Now you can uh, also see me putting up mostly daily, (laughs) sometimes daily when I have the energy to do it. Posts of just uh, the same sort of philosophies or quotes of other literature. I always like to put things of uh, entertainment and enlightenment up because the world is such a crummy place. Our Facebook doesn't need to be crummy or melodramatic, so I try not to put any of that on there. You want to just the author's page is capital A.L. Duncan.
0: Okay. Thank you very much for your time.
1: Thank you so much. I appreciate it.
0: You've been listening to The Right Stuff. I'm Sheena, and we spoke to A.L. Duncan today. If you enjoyed the show, please make sure to rate it on Stitcher and iTunes.